Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John 19. We're closing in on the end of the book of John. Now, i got news for you. We won't finish John. I thought we were going to finish John by December, but it looks like we're going into John into January. We'll finish John in January. But if you've been with us most of the time, you have gone through the entire book of John. You should have notes from the entire book of John. If you'd like to say, I missed a Sunday or two, and you'd like the answers to the uh, notes to the book of John uh, that we have used here. Now, there's many, many, of course, more than what I've produced but you can look at those online. You can get them off our website, but or you can actually call the church, and, and I will be happy to print off the answers uh, for you if you'd like to have the whole book of John. It's over a year's worth of notes that we'll that we uh, just small notes we've compiled, and I'll even print you some of my side notes that I put in that I don't put in the sermon if you if you'd like those. But the book of John is very important to us because John is telling us that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and and we've heard. And I was listening to Menard's class. I'm usually in Richard's class outside the door uh, because my office is right outside. But Bernard was teaching Richard's class today, and, and Bernard was bringing up some great, great points. And I'm like, I always try to take notes, and that's why my sermon sounds like most Richard's class or Bernard's because that's where I get my sermon from. I wait to get my sermon from their class after they teach. I'm just kidding. But some points that's very uh, prevalent today is that we know, who knows all about the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection Raise your hand if you know it. Just, just go ahead and raise your hand. So I know the audience we're, we're preaching to. You know pretty much about it, right? You even know some prophecies. Anybody know a prophecy that was foretold that he was, this, all this was going to happen hundreds of years before it happened? We, you, so you know that. And we also know that Christmas is coming, right? Christmas time we celebrate is coming. You know that he came to be born of a virgin. We know this story because it was foretold and we've said it and preached it a thousand times it seems like. We've heard it more than one or two or three times. We've heard it more than ten times. And if we're not careful as humans, we can get satisfied with what we know. We can become very religious and have our religious box of what we were taught growing up. This is what I was taught, so therefore, this is the truth. Always make sure that you go back to a fresh drink from the well of God and refresh yourself on what God wants to say to you every season of every day about who He is. If not, you'll get stuck in traditions, and you'll never speak a word for the Lord. You'll just know what you know, and you'll pass on We Three Kings and some crazy stuff that we sing at Christmas. We were just listening to some Christmas music last night, traveling, and like, I've never heard that before. Uh, the, the chorus of Born King of the, the Angels. Have you ever heard that, the new song? Uh, born King of the Angels. Jesus was not born King of the Angels. He was the King of the Angels. He was born of a virgin by means that we might actually have access to the Father. So Jesus was not born king of the angels. He created the angels, okay? So don't, don't, let's not, I mean, I know it's verbiage, but it's very important to have your doctrine right that Jesus has always existed. He didn't just come about in Bethlehem uh, that time some 2,000 years ago. So let's get into John 19, and you see the other scriptures that I put in there. Those are going along with the story, story in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 27 and also Mark 15. Uh, they tell the same story, just a little more detail, and the detail is important, but we won't always have time to go to those other scriptures, so that's why I give that to you in your notes. So let's begin in John 19, and you know the story. It's very cold. It's cold outside. P uh, Peter has already denied Christ. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. This is an illegal trial. It's happening at night. There was no way under Jewish law that the Jewish um, Judaizers, the high priest, the chief priests, and the others would always want to be above reproach. You never did anything at night because it looked like it was sneaky and below underhanded. Yet here they are doing the very thing that they knew their law and their traditions forbid. 
Never do anything at night so it doesn't look like it appear that it's wrong. Here they are at nighttime, passing uh, a guilty, uh, uh, they didn't even get a chance to, for Jesus to, to plea. They, they passed a guilty sentence on him at night. So let's read together. Here we are standing around. Pilate's trying to give him back after he's been arrested. And we told you that some 600 to 1,000 people came to arrest Jesus there in the garden. It's a massive amount of people standing around waiting for this trial. We know there's some million plus, potentially two million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. This is one of the feasts that all the Jews must come back home for. So the place is packed out. All right, here we go. Pick up in verse 1, 19, chapter 19. So then Pilate took, he was the governor of Judea, by the way. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, or your Bible might say uh, flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And Matthew would tell you that they put a staff or a scepter in his hand. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. And, and the other Gospels will tell you they took the scepter from his hand, and they hit Jesus on the crown of thorns on his head. So they, they were intent to cause, inflict as much pain as they could on the Lord Jesus Christ. They pushed those, and didn't just push, it was a punch and a, a striking with a, with a stick to push those thorns deep into his head that blood might run down. Remember, it's still very cold, and you think about the physical effect of Jesus. He's feeling this true, um, this true pain, the physical a- agony that's happening. And you ever got a thorn in your hand? What's the immediate response from your body? What's the immediate response you think? Get it out. There's pain. Get it out. Left hand wanting to fix the, serve the right hand. Right hand serve the left hand. Jesus felt that very pain. He was Son of God, but he also was Son of Man. He was 100% God, yet he was 100% man. He's feeling the weather. He's feeling them strip his clothes off, the coldness touching his skin. He's obviously seeing all the effects. He's hearing everything that's happening. He's feeling the spittle when they spit on him. He's feeling the blows when they strike him. He knows everyone by name because he created every single one of those men who are persecuting him. He was dying for their own sorry souls while they were spitting upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine and think about the atmosphere when we're standing there and them hitting him and punching him in the face. Verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, and he said to them, Them as the Judaizers, the chief priests, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and I might add that he's bleeding profusely because the thorns have been driven into his head, so blood's covering his face. And you would think, the average human would have pity or sorry on someone like this saying, oh my goodness, what, what have we done? They did not. Watch what they do. Verse 6, therefore when the chief priest, these are the leaders, y'all. These are the religious men of the day. Chief priests and officers saw him. <coughs> excuse me. They cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. If you would write in your Bibles, if you write in your Bibles, underline that. They, the Jewish people who could not crucify anyone, were calling for crucifixion, which was a Roman torture way, a torture device of hanging people on a tree so that everyone would see, don't do the the crime they did, because if you do, Rome's going to get you. So crucifixion was the worst kind of death that someone could face. The Jews hated crucifixion. The Jews even said, as in Scripture, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. So they went so far as to join with the Romans and say, crucify him, hang him on a tree so that he would be to the Jewish people and all who see and accursed. 
They're saying a whole lot more than just our English language, crucify him. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. He was innocent. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, do you remember what the judgment was they brought against Jesus when they brought Jesus to Pilate to start with? When they started this whole charade? They said he has called himself a king. He's put himself against Caesar. And we know that we talked about the king there. They're talking about the king of the Jews is the word Messiah. They even incriminated themselves when they first brought Jesus saying, He is the Messiah, Savior, set apart one, sanctified from Nazareth. He's the one. But he put himself up against Caesar. So they were saying he's our king, he's our Messiah, but he's going against Caesar because we want him dead. Well, let's continue. It's amazing that they incriminated themselves more than one time. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was, the Bible says, more afraid. This is the guilty fear that he's having. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, verse 10, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Verse 12, From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. This is the second time they invoked Caesar's name. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against whom? Caesar. Here's the second time. When Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And he would be saying, Behold your Messiah, is what he would be saying. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but whom? Caesar. Then he delivered them to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. They took Jesus and led him away. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you give us this word today. That, Father, we could humble ourselves before holy God, you, Lord, seeing what agony you went through, through the, in the flesh, but also, Lord, deep in your spirit of those that you created, those that you even came to your own and they rejected you. Lord, it's a mirror of us. When we look today, we see our faces in this passage that had we been there, we would have been doing the very same thing. Where are your disciples during this time, Lord? Where are the ones who are, would speak up for your behalf they're hiding in shame and in fear. Lord, I'm thankful this happened and that we have the blood. But Lord, I'm sorry that this happened as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Go straight to your notes. I want to get this today so we can actually cover this. Jesus was arrested and had flagrant injustices done to him prior to sentencing. He was the innocent lamb of God, but he was fulfilling the mission of God. So we read this. We go, I don't like this. Anybody like this story? Anybody like this part of the story? Uh, we want to stand up for Jesus. And I even wrote across my notes, this is personal because he's my Lord and Savior. I want to stand up for him. I want to speak a word for him. I'd love to be there knowing what I know. But if I had I been there, I would have been very like many people today that are in the scriptures who would have rejected him. As a matter of fact, we have the living Lord Jesus living inside of us, each of us today, that call ourselves born-again followers of Christ. Well, let me correct that. Those of us that 
are called by God as born-again followers of Christ, he calls us saved. We can't call ourselves saved because there's many people religious today calling themselves saved, living like the devil. And you heard what Mike read in 1 John chapter 3, and I picked that scripture specifically because I want you to question, wait a minute, if I sin, am I of the devil? Or if I'm righteous, am I of God? You understand what the scripture is saying. There is two ways to live, for Christ in a righteous way, against Christ in an unrighteous way. Live an unrighteous life, you're going to hell. Live a righteous life, you're going to heaven. The only way to live a righteous life is to give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. This was very key in this time, but is also key in our day today. We can't escape this. I want you to look at your notes, verses 1 through the first part of 3. The Roman soldiers flogged or scourged Jesus. This is how many people are here. If you look at Mark, he'll tell you a little bit. He'll tell you the whole battalion's there. It says they went out and gathered the men. This is 600 soldiers coming in. These are some rough, rough soldiers. If you've been in the military, you understand what I mean by that. If you haven't been in the military, sometimes you get, the, uh, you get the, some of the highest of society, and a lot of times in the military, you get the lowest of society. You can get everybody in between stuck in the military. Well, the Roman soldiers, obviously they got paid oftentimes with salt, or they, their low, wages were low, but they had to serve, they were com, uh, compelled to serve Rome, and so some of these men did not care about life itself. Uh, they actually enjoyed torture and punishment. And so you've got 600 soldiers, a battalion here, around Jesus, flogging Jesus. And look at your notes. They jammed a crown of twisted thorns on his head. They draped the purple robe around him to mock him, and they repeatedly struck him. And they did their best to humiliate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They hit him in the head with that scepter. If you go back and look what Mark says in Matthew. And they took every measure they could to bring about punishment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who's there to defend him? Not even God the Father himself. Why? Why is the Father not stepping in? Why is Jesus not calling those 10,000 plus angels? It's because this was the plan of God. You say, well, I don't fully understand it. Neither do I. I don't even like it. I don't even, I don't even enjoy this part of reading the Scripture. This bothers me to read the Scripture because... God has put inside of our hearts and some of us to be defenders. And you want to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, my offense is your defense. I must be offended. What's going to happen? Because he's in the process of being lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. And he said, if I'll be lifted up, I will draw what? All men to myself. So the process, the plan has to be fulfilled no matter how painful it is for us to read this in the passage or think about it in our own mind's eye. This is our living Lord Savior that we say that we love. Well, I want you to see, hold your place and go back to Isaiah. Can you go to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament? Isaiah 53, we'll read just a few of the scriptures here, but the whole chapter, there's only 12 verses. But as these soldiers put a crown of twisted thorns on the Lord Jesus Christ's head as they mocked him and they made fun of him in any way they possibly could. Sure, there was cursing and slaying. It's a picture of the Isaiah 53 suffering servant. This is what Isaiah said would happen long before, five to 600 years before it happened. Isaiah said this would happen. Go with me to Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah writes, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of the dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The Bible is very clear that Jesus was an average 
Jewish man. He had to be pointed out by Judas. He had to be kissed by Judas. He had to be asked whom he was. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sins. Christ suffered for that. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He's been the sin bearer for us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This was prophesied by Isaiah. This would happen, and it's happening exactly the way Isaiah said it would happen, because Isaiah was a prophet speaking on behalf of God Almighty. God's putting this on his heart to the Spirit of God to write this down, and word for word, specific details is happening right here in this, in this praetorium, right here prior to the crucifixion. Go back to your notes and look and see that crown of thorns as well. That robe that they mocked him with, that scepter they put in his hand, was also a very visual picture. These soldiers probably see this in hell today on a regular basis, that in Revelation 19, he is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. This was a very much a picture of looking back, suffering servant, that's who he would, that's who he was, and king of kings, that's who he is, amen? So that's who we'll see. We'll never see this image of Christ again. We'll never have this image when we get to heaven. We'll see him as he is. And Revelation 1 tells us what he looks like. And there's a, there's a strong picture of what he looks like. And every time John gets around him, and John was the disciple that Jesus loved, but in Revelation, when John gets around Jesus, he falls down as a dead man. He's, he, he cannot even look to the holiness of God. And the Lord Jesus picks him up and says, get up. I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to reveal the truth of who I am. And John sees this picture, and he can, he can hardly explain it. And he, he's talking about the majesty of God Almighty. And he sees Jesus. It's not some Jewish man. He sees this holy God standing in front of him. And he can't explain it. Watch and see what happens. Transition. These men, these soldiers who were wicked Gentiles, Romans, were actually fulfilling prophecy. They were doing the very thing. They were the very instruments, the tools that God used, even though they were in sin, God used them to fulfill his word of punishing the suffering servant that God sent, but also giving a visual of the king, conquering king of kings. Pilate presented, if you would, verse 4 through 6, he presented a beaten Jesus, king of the Jews, to the Jewish leadership and desired to release him because Jesus was innocent. Mark that in your Bibles, Jesus was innocent. You and I have never been innocent since the day we've been born. You were born into sin and you are a sinner by birth. That's true for me. That's true for you. There's never been a day when you've been innocent. Never a day. But there is a time when the blood of Jesus covers you. As we sang about earlier, that Jesus makes you like himself. He says, this one is mine. So whenever the devil brings up our past or anything to the Lord, and the Bible says he accuses us regularly. The devil is our accuser. We, Jesus speaks, and it's the blood. Every time the Father sees you, he sees his Son, Jesus Christ, and this sacrifice that was made for you and for me, that we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we sing 
and we're proud of singing in the right way about the blood of Christ. The corrupt, verse, look at verse 6, jump to verse 6, second part. The corrupt chief priests and officers shouted with vitriolic hatred, crucify him, crucify him. Get him out of our sight. We don't want this man here. And Pilate insisted they take him and crucify him since he was found, he found Jesus faultless. There's nothing I find fault in him. This pagan Pilate, this lost man, this lost Gentile who knew the customs of the Jews, he said, there's nothing I find wrong with him. Pilate was warned, as you know, that he's hearing all these different things. He's hearing the word of God. As we talked about last week, he's standing in the very face of Jesus, and he asks, what is truth? And we know that Scripture says, if you know the truth, what's going to happen to the truth? The truth shall set you free. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No religion is going to get you to heaven. You cannot earn your way, you cannot buy your way, you cannot serve your way into glory. You must come by the way of the cross. You must accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is but one way. You don't have to like that today. Uh, You say, that's a narrow-minded person. Jesus said, I am the narrow way. We are narrow-minded people. We say there's only but one way to heaven. And to the exclusion of everyone else in the whole planet, we say there is but one way. When we're facing persecution, blessed are you when you're persecuted. For my name's sake, says the Lord. They also persecuted Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way. Either he's a liar or he's the Lord. Amen? You've got to get it right in your life because are you speaking for him out there? Uh, all the children, even a project we had in our school, middle number school, do a project on Thanksgiving. Everything it was a really quick search. Everything comes back giving thanks for the crops, giving thanks for the autumn, giving thanks for the Indians, giving thanks for this and that. Thanksgiving is based on giving thanks to holy God. We have Thanksgiving today because a President Roosevelt signed it and he referenced Psalm 92 saying, we give thanks to God. United States of America, in God we trust is our motto. Did you know that? How far have we strayed from what we used to be? We're so divided today because we can't decide about who is God. Amen? And we're allowing vain philosophies that come into our schools, into our homes, into our churches, and we won't stand up and say, thus said the word of God. We must push back, even if it's other churches, if it's other religions, we push back and say, listen, you won't bring that junk into the house of God. I'm not going to listen to that. And you might, you will be persecuted, my brothers and my sisters, if you stand for Jesus Christ. But so they persecuted him first. They, they got him first. He modeled for us These are the religious people. These are the ones who shout the loudest. These are the ones who jangle the most change in the offering plate. These are the ones standing up in fancy robes. These are the ones calling each other by title who are standing in front and actually decrying to kill Jesus Christ the Messiah. It still happens today. Do you do it today? Do you crucify him with your language? Do you crucify him with your your actions? Even the places that we attend, if you're not careful, you'll crucify him where the places that you go Because we know Christ will never go there. We don't have nails today, but we do have fingers that text and type. We have mouths that speak. I want you to see what these murderous Jewish leadership, verse 7, they invoked their blasphemy law. And it really was Christ's blasphemy law. Found in Leviticus 24, 16, if you look at it. If anyone commits the act of blasphemy, they were to be, do you know how they were supposed to be executed by God? Stoned to death, not crucified. That was not even a Jewish way. 
They were to be stoned to death. So if they truly, these chief priests, these officers, these elders, if they truly were standing by the law of God, they would have taken Jesus out to a hillside somewhere and everyone would have picked up stones until he died of stoning to death. That's how you know they were legitimate. If they truly believed, if they truly believed that he was in blasphemy against God, that's what they would have done. So against their own law that they speak for God, they're saying, this is what God says, but we're not willing to do it. This is what the Word of God says. We're not willing to do it. We'll let y'all do it some other way because we want to see this man accursed hanging on a tree. They were gutless wonders is what they were. These were useless humans taking up space, fulfilling, though, the will of God. Do you know people like that today? There's men who stand in the pulpits, and they won't stand for one thing outside of there. They'll give you a nice homily. They'll give you some kind of word from the Word of God, maybe even a motivational speech, but they won't stand for Jesus Christ for three seconds out there. They'd rather divide the church than bring the church together. They'd rather roll with the community because it gives them status. They get platforms, a place to speak, and they feel good out there the whole time betraying the Lord Jesus Christ that they preach on Sunday morning. Stay away from those people. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're dangerous humans. Now, we will all sin. We read that in 1 John. We know that we're going to sin after we become a Christian. That's not being, we're not talking about perfection. The only thing John's talking about that's perfected us is when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. Somewhere inside of me, there's a piece of perfection. His name is the Holy Spirit. Amen? He, wherever he dwells in me, whether it be my head, my heart, wherever it is, there is that piece of perfection. That's what John's talking about. You have been made perfect, meaning that he is in you. He's going with you everywhere you go. He goes with you. Everything you see, he sees. Everything you speak about, he speaks about because you are his messenger. You go about with him. But the body, the Bible says in Galatians, the body, the body wars against the spirit. There's a daily grind that happens with you and me that we're at war. Galatians chapter 5, look at it for yourself. The Bible says the body wars against the spirit and the the spirit against the body. So what do we have to do? We have to Take our, our thoughts captive. We have to live Galatians 2.20, that crucified life daily, that he may live through us. Because when we live our life through Christ, how sweet it is to be loved by him. Amen? And we walk daily with him saying, Lord, I can't do it. He says, I know you can't. Watch this. I'll do it through you. With my power. Listen, when you become weak, that's when you're strong in the Lord. You let him live it through you. Verse 8, Pilate knew Jesus was different. He knew this. When he heard he was called the Son of God, the Bible says Pilate became even more fearful, meaning he was already fearful. He was already afraid that something bad is about to happen. I want you to go, if you would, Matthew 27. Uh, we won't get a chance to get through all the scripture, but look at Matthew 27. Let's pick up in verse 11 to see if you can tell whom is actually speaking to Pilate, who's speaking into his life, and this fear is building up inside of him. He thinks there's an insurrection about to happen, so politically he's messed up. Uh, he, uh, religiously, there's the Passover. There's a million, two million Jews. What better time to start a revolt than right now? you got the Jews ticked off at the Romans, and the, now the Romans have sent extra battalions in to, to keep the noise down because the Jewish are ruckus people. But you got all the Jews from Europe. you got all the Jews from Northern Africa. you got all the Jews from Judea, all the areas around coming to town. What better time to start a revolt than today? you got one to two million Jews that's going to overwhelm or could overwhelm the Roman government. So Pilate has this natural fear. Pilate has this political fear. And now he's faced with this man who's called Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Savior. He's stressed out. He's fearful. Look at Matthew 27. We'll pick up in verse 11. 
you there, say amen. Verse 11, let's pick up together. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, It is as you say. While he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Does this sound like Isaiah 53 being fulfilled? That he stood before his, if you would, those who were convicting him, and he said not a word? Verse 15. Now the feast of the governor was accustomed to release to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And that they might have, and at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Remember I told you, son of the fathers? This is the preacher's kid, more than likely, they won't. He's a murderer, Mark tells us. He's a robber, and he's a murderer. He's an insurrectionist. He's one that's kind of stirred up. He's the worst kind of person that Rome wants. Rome really wanted him tattooed on the cross to say, if you go against Rome like Barabbas did, then we're going to hang you up here on a tree. So Jesus took Barabbas' place. Even though he was innocent, Barabbas should have been hanging that day on that road um, there on the cross. Therefore, they, verse 17, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And some historians say that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. So what they were saying was, that's why he says this man, You want Jesus, son of the Father? Or do you want Jesus, the son of the Father? He was a play on word. Pilate, Pilate was smart. Do you want Jesus, son of the Father, earthly Father? Or do you want Jesus, Savior, son of the Father? They had the Jews. Pilate was playing a game with the Jewish priests and leaders. And they're like, uh, we want that one. We want Barabbas. We want actually the son of the Father. And Pilate keeps asking them, and he makes them incriminate themselves more and more and more as they speak. Let's continue. Verse 18, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Church, why did the chief priest hand Jesus over? Because envy and jealousy. So many reasons that motivate us today if we're not careful. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message basically saying, have nothing to do with that just man I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate's being edged on by false religious rulers. He's being spoken to by his wife via message. And he's being spoken to by God himself, Jesus Christ. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release? They said, Son of the Father. That sound like Jesus, but they were talking about Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? They cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult or an uprising was happening, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let me ask you today, how many of us have read that passage more than one time? Raise your hand if you, if you read it more than once. 
How many of you actually, it still bothers you today when you read it? Does it bother you at all? Like, this is wrong. This is the wrong on every level. Let's go back over to the book of John. We'll finish up here. But I want you to see this. We know it's wrong. Did the chief priests and elders know that it was wrong? Did Pilate know that it was wrong, the ruling authority? Did he know it was wrong? Yes. Did all the soldiers know it was wrong? Listen, there's nobody in town who knew that, who thought this was right. No one. They all knew it was wrong, but because of their envy and because of their jealousy and because of their way, they'd rather have it their way than the way of Christ. They were willing to join in this parade of crucifixion. This is a man's life. Forget that he's God for just one moment, but they were willing to convict an innocent man that he might die a horrid death so that they might have it their way. How many people today are living it like that in America in the 21st century and around the world? I know what the Bible says, but I'm not willing to do it. I will not come together for any reason because, you know, we're divided. We got different denominations. Did y'all know that in our society? How many of y'all come from a non-Baptist background? Raise your hand. God forbid we got work to do. Just kidding. So you think about, listen, we all come by the way of the cross, right? We, I didn't get saved as a Baptist. I got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then I chose to join a Baptist church because I found the churches that I was looking around. I went to non-denominational churches. I went to different churches that have different stripes. And, and, and some of the churches I went to and said, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, you do. And I saw women doing jumping jacks and acting like a daggum, like somebody let squirrels out of a cage and people running from them at a church. When did I visit going, I, was a, I wasn't even a Christian yet. And I'm like, what is going on? People flopping like fish, covering people up like they're dead. Y'all, in the house of the Lord, there should be some order. Now, we should get excited. I think Baptists, if we're not careful, we can get our behinds welded to the seat too much, right? Can't get up, can't praise him, can't lift my arms. Yeah, listen, I think we should praise him every chance. When the Bible says praise him, there's uplifted arms and there's shouts of hallelujah in the house of God. We should get there sometimes. But listen, there is no way that gymnastics 101 is happening on the front and anybody is equipped or edified through that mess. You say, well, you don't understand my background. Listen, I've got Pentecostal friends, and I, I've got uh, assembly friends. i got all kinds of friends, and I go to their churches. I love visiting other churches, but when I have conversation, I'll tell you a funny story. We had a local church, and predominantly black congregation, and I'd preach there, and, and, and I would visit, and the women would come and just fall out at the front, and I'm like, what is going on while I'm preaching? And, and they just fall all over the place. And the, the older women would come and cover them up with blankets. Some of y'all were here. So I invited the brother here to preach. His praise team came here and sang. His choir sang. They did the whole service, but we were jointly combined here. All the blankets we have, because it gets cold in here sometimes for the older ladies, sometimes the teenagers sneak them. I, I, I brought them all down front, and I laid them all down here, and I told no one to touch them. Don't touch them. Because my experience was every time I visited their church, when preaching happened, these women flopped out and they called it the movement of the Holy Spirit. I'm not making fun, I'm telling you a matter of fact. So I took all of our blankets, you see them in the windows, those are for warmth sometimes, and I just stacked them, we were washed and cleaned down here, and I kept them in case we're missing something as Baptists, right? If the movement of the Holy Spirit, so sermon was awesome, the music was awesome, it was, it was a powerful time in the Lord here this, in, in the congregation uh, I was like, man, I said, did you feel the presence of the Lord this morning? Because I did. I said, I did as well. I felt the Lord here today. 
I said, but what changed? He goes, what do you mean? I said, look at all these blankets. Nobody's in here but us. I said, look at all these blankets. He goes, well, yeah, what are they for? I said, well, every time I come to your church, there's certain women, the same women flopping like fish. I've been in the service, moved by the Holy Spirit, slain in the spirit, whatever's happening. I don't know what it's called, but sorry, flop like fish is not a technical term. That was just me observing. And nothing happened. You preached, your choir sang, your praise team led, the spirit was in the house, nobody flopped like fish. What happened? He said, oh, that's because we were a mixed company. I said, brother, let me tell you something. I love you, you know how much I love you, but there is no way that I can get a mixed company if the Holy Spirit moves me to shout hallelujah. I don't care if I'm in the middle of a Presbyterian or a Catholic church or mass, wherever I am, I will shout hallelujah, praise the Lord Jesus Christ because he is worthy. He's the one that we worship in, not some act, not some kind of a performance that we do for each other. I don't care who I'm around. If the Lord fills me, I'm going to say so because the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And he, he laughed and said, well, hadn't thought about that. I said, well, listen, you need to address that because what happens is if we're not careful, we can get into traditions, y'all, and we can do stuff that don't make any sense to anybody on the outside. And even when we talk about the blood, this doesn't make any sense to anybody, does it? We think about blood. We think about blood loss and loss of life. We don't like talking about it, but we as Christians, we love talking about this stuff because we're talking about our Savior. We're talking about our having our access to the Father. Am I making fun when I tell you the story? The answer is no. I'm just telling you as my perspective, watching, going, what in the world? And I can tell you other stories that I've been to other churches and watching things going on and going, how does that bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ? Australia, they're coming up on the stage and giving birth in the Spirit. They're getting in little tents and giving birth in the Spirit. There's churches where people are sitting in the pews, urinating in the Spirit. Yeah, using the bathroom on yourself in the Spirit. Imagine cleaning that up after church. Y'all, it's insane what people are doing in the name of God. These men are bringing about crucifixion, blaming God or giving God credit. Hey, he's blasphemed our God, crucify our God. Does that make any sense to you at all? It should not because it does not. Let's continue, let's finish. Pilate didn't listen to the warnings. Pilate didn't listen to his wife. Pilate questioned Jesus did Jesus did not initially answer him. Pilate told him he had the power to crucify him, verses 9 and 10. Verse 11, Jesus informed Pilate where his power came from. Amen? Jesus was clear. You don't have any power lest I give it to you. It was, he was very clear, and he says it's from above. And where did Jesus always say he was from? The power station above, right? He was from above. He said, you don't have any power unless it's given to you from above. Jesus indicated that Pilate was sinning by participating in this crucifixion. Did Pilate sin by ordering Jesus crucified, yes or no? Yes, he did. But who was the greater sin? The Bible references Jesus himself referenced even a greater sin. Talk about Judas, ultimately. And then those betrayers, the greater sin. It is a sin to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet it was the plan of God. So did God make these men sin? Did Pilate have a choice? Could he willfully stand up against the Jewish people? Did he ever after this? Yes, he did. We're going to get ahead of myself, but he put a sign on the cross that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He put it in three different languages. And they said, hey, don't write he's the King of the Jews, the Messiah. Write, he said he was the King of the Jews. Pilate said, it's done. What I've done, I've done. So Pilate could have stood up against them right here, but it was the plan of God. Yet Pilate was fearful for his, as you'll see in the notes, he was 
fearful for losing his power and his position more than losing his sorry soul. Can you imagine Pilate in hell today washing his hands over and over and over again saying, I'm innocent of the blood of Jesus Christ. How many people sitting church in Town Creek Baptist Church are going to walk away and you'll over and over again say, Man, are we singing about the blood? We sing about the blood. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. Because listen, everybody in hell is an evangelist. If they could come here today, they would tell you that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and you need to be saved. Don't come to this place. Every person in heaven would tell you the truth and everybody in hell would tell you the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. As a matter of fact, they're going to bow one day their knee and profess that. Let's finish up here. Pilate looked for various ways to release Jesus. Pilate feared losing his power and position. Pilate presented Jesus one last time to the Jewish leadership prior to sentencing and asked, Shall I crucify your Messiah? Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, Here's what most Americans are answering today. We have no king but what? But Caesar. Who do the Jews hate more? Hate, with a capital H, hate more than anyone in the world. The Romans, and Caesar was the representation of Rome. They hated him. They hated him. They would spit when they would say his name because there was such despisement for Rome and their occupation of Israel. They hated Rome. They definitely hated Caesar because he was this false man who put himself up to be God. Matter of fact, who was blaspheming against God when he would say, call me God? Caesar. So the very accusation they brought against Jesus was the very way they were living in a blasphemy lifestyle by saying, we have no king but Caesar. And y'all listen to me today carefully as we close. Some of y'all living just like these chief priests. So many Americans today, so many people in society are living just like the chief priests. Uh, we'll give a good quick word for Jesus when we're, we're looking like Nicodemus did and saying, hey, we, John 3, we know that you're from God because of all the miracles you're doing. Good job. Crucify him. We'll be the first ones right back to bring about crucifixion. When given this opportunity to evaluate the life and claims of Jesus, what will we decide? You say, well, I know i got a head knowledge of Jesus. Listen, is your head knowledge going to get you into heaven, yes or no? Is your religion going to get you to heaven, yes or no? Is church attendance going to get you to heaven, yes or no? Is baptism going to get you to heaven, yes or no? Only a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ, where you have to humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you were truly dead and buried. And on the third day, God raised you from the dead. I confess you as my Lord and Savior and ask you to come into my life. You cannot get to heaven unless you profess or confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Thus said the word of God. Church attendance won't get it for you, y'all. Grandma won't get it for you. A religious family, a background of always being born into it won't get it for you. You must personally receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. There is no other way. And if you have doubts, listen, you better deal with those doubts and fears now. Because ask Pilate. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's the innocent son of God. He knew the play on words that he was doing. Jesus, sanctified one, the Savior, set apart one, the innocent son of God. He knew all that language. And I imagine today he's walking around if he never received Christ. Jesus. The innocent Son of God, Jesus, Savior of the world, Jesus. And everybody listening in hell is going to be if only. If, I, if only I'd listen to my grandma, if I'd only listen to my dad, if I'd only listen to that preacher, if I'd only listen to my Sunday school teacher, if only, and listen, if only it's too late. 
Once we die, it's said and done. There is no praying someone out of some lost place into heaven. We must do this while we're living. Today's the day of salvation, says the word of God. Let's stand together and I want to pray for you. Father God, as we go into our time of invitation, Lord, knowing that we just see the sun coming out after a day of rain, so this joy that comes from the word of God, through all this tragedy that we see in the text, Lord, through all of this, through your humiliation, through your punishment, through, Lord, the beatings and the things that we deserved, you took for us. And not just the physical, Lord, you died on the cross as the Lord put all of our sin, all of our sin, no matter where we're from, on you that day. How can we say thank you enough? It seems like giving our life to you is too little, but Lord, you say that is enough. And then, Lord, you in turn make us more and more like you every day. We'll have hows and whys. I suppose for all of eternity, but Lord, you'll be answering our questions. You'll be speaking to us because you say you no longer call us servants, you call us friends, children of God. I am your son, people are your daughters. What a beautiful picture that is. And Lord, how can we help help but give thanks today as we sing to you, our wonderful Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there's somebody who's not saved today, they don't know that they know that they're saved. They they have a religion, they have a a way, but they don't know. Lord, let break their hearts that they would know today before they leave this place that they've given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus for his sake. Amen.